Hi there. Welcome to the West Virginia High Street Journal podcast. I'm Bart Keeler. I'm glad you could join us for this episode. Before we get going, I'd like to ask you to subscribe on whichever podcatcher you are listening right now. And also go follow us on Twitter at WVHSJ and on Facebook, WVHSJ. Just a reminder, you can catch all of our content on our website, WVHSJ.com. Now, if you're like me, when the pandemic struck back in March of 2020, you were displaced from a nice office space to the comfort of your own home. Now, some people have adapted to the work-from-home environment a lot easier during the pandemic, but many people were in this work-from-home routine well before the pandemic even began. The question now comes, if all you need is internet and you could work anywhere, where would you want to work? Wouldn't you want to work from almost heaven? All right, I promise that's not the only time we're throwing that pun out here this episode, but the point remains that if you are able to travel and choose where you live, that is not tied to where your work location is, what's stopping you from moving? To discover how West Virginia could lure potential remote workers to the Mountain State, here's David Smith with the story. COVID-19 altered, improved, archived, and deleted many parts of our daily routine. The pandemic has not only brought changes that could not have been foreseen before 2020, but it also has increased the rate of change for others that were already happening. The growing popularity of 21st century phenomena, such as e-commerce, over-the-top media services, and contactless transactions were the topics of investor calls and tech conventions in 2019. Since March 2020, these techniques are no longer abstract nor obscure, but the sole source of cash flow for many businesses striving to survive. The world has changed. Now, Americans spend most of their hours in the comfort of their home. Those hours include the workday where a sizable amount of the American labor force has now, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, started conducting their work from the home office. This change of lifestyle has sprung several questions to the forefront. If I work from home, why do I need to live in this expensive lockdown city? If my city is locked down, could I move to a more open area? Would that more open area be cheaper to live in? These questions were already being asked before the pandemic began. Al Labs, a virtual meeting equipment merchant, started annually surveying the American workforce in 2017 on the overall movement to working from home, or WFH. The 2019 edition of the Al Labs survey showed that 62% of employees said they work from home at least once a month, and 30% of all responders work from home full-time. Using the United States Bureau of Labor and Statistics, also known as U.S. BLS data, for June 2019, the same month that the Owl Labs report was published, 155.5 million people made up the workforce in the United States. This means that roughly 96 million Americans work from home occasionally, and 46 million of them worked remotely full-time. These numbers have been trending upward for the past decade, and some municipalities across the country were taking notice. One massive advantage of working remotely is that employees can be productive not only from their homes, but from anywhere with an internet connection. Local lawmakers in Tulsa, Oklahoma, formulated incentives to attract remote workers to migrate to their respective small towns rather than living in the big, expensive city. As soon as 2018, the program Tulsa Remote was installed to recruit remote workers to the Oklahoma City by highlighting the reasonable cost of living compared to popular big tech cities such as San Francisco. 
The benefits of moving to Tulsa through the governmental program included $10,000 in cash dished out through monthly installments during the first year of residence. It also included upfront relocation expense aid and membership to a shared brick and mortar office space that features basic office needs like a scanner printer, paper, and private meeting video conference rooms. Similar programs have sprouted up in cities in Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Georgia, Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska, and Ohio. In fact, the entire state of Maine is offering student debt credits, providing up to $377 per month for incoming residents who have degrees in science, technology, engineering, and math, which are STEM degrees, starting with 2016 graduates. The year 2020. As the pandemic swept the nation, the American workforce was sheltered at home, and those who were able to work from home full-time moved to this new groove. The U.S. BLS added to their monthly workforce surveys an additional question asking whether the pandemic had forced the respondent to work remotely. In May 2020, the first month where this question was put into the field, 35.4% said the pandemic had driven them to work from home. Combined with the estimated 30% of workers who were already working fully remote pre-pandemic, this suggests that a majority of the United States workforce was teleworking during the summer of 2020. According to Gallup, that is still the case as of January 2021. If the remote worker program coordinators in the small cities across the country were not getting the attention expected before COVID-19, they certainly put their application processing capacity to test. According to an NPR report, Tulsa Remote saw applications go up threefold in the second half of 2020 and accepted 500 new residents to the community. The Pew Research Center released a study in July 2020 stating that, quote, about a fifth of United States adults moved due to the COVID-19 pandemic or knew someone who did. In their annual remote work report, Owl Labs showed 69% of respondents were working from home during the pandemic and that 50%, quote, would move if they were able to work from home all or most of the time. When they were asked, quote, if you live in an urban area and could work from home all or most of the time, where would you move? 50% of the respondents said that they would not move. 29% said that they would move to a more suburban area in the same general region that they already lived in. 12% of the responders said that they would move to a suburban area elsewhere outside of the general region they already lived in. And 9% said that they would move to a rural area. West Virginia work from almost heaven. On October 5th, 2020, West Virginia University announced they received a gift of $25 million from the Intuit executive Brad Smith and his wife Alice as a part of the remote worker program. The press release read, quote, Through the newly named Brad and Alice Smith Outdoor Economic Developmental Collaborative, the donation, one of the largest in West Virginia University's history, will provide initial funding for a remote worker program, a groundbreaking initiative designed to help individuals and young families prosper amid the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. As more and more people work remotely, the statewide remote worker program at WVU aims to leverage West Virginia's outdoor assets to bring fresh talent to the Mountain State, cultivate dynamic communities, and continue to fuel the entrepreneurial and innovative thinking of West Virginia. The program will target fully employed individuals from outside the state who can work anywhere and want to be part of a contemporary, experience-driven lifestyle. Outdoor enthusiasts or young families who can help create a more diverse, inclusive, and purposeful community will be given preference in a competitive application process. 
Smith said in an interview that they collaborated with WVU to mimic several economic development strategies across the globe, including Tulsa Remote. Through the Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative, or the OEDC, new residents to the Mountain State would receive financial incentives, shared co-working spaces, and leverage the state's abundance of national attractions with, quote, free and subsidized outdoor trips and activities. The WVU OEDC was enabled to immediately comment on how the financial incentives were to be debbied out, but this strategy appears to be directly targeted at the 9% of remote workers who would be interested in moving from a city to a more rural environment. There are national trends currently aiding West Virginia as well. U-Haul, the moving truck company, releases an annual migration report showing the rate of one-way moving trucks. This possibly indicates positive net migration for the year, as more people came into the state with a U-Haul truck than left with one. The bottom five of the list were Maryland at number 46, with Massachusetts, New Jersey, Illinois, and California finishing dead last. While not completely at the bottom, New York was at number 42. This data does suggest that there is something to the migration out of the larger cities. But for the Mountain State to fully realize a remote working recruiting plan, the infrastructure must be there to support it. Rural Broadband and the Trouble with Frontier West Virginia, unfortunately, is currently struggling to build the proper infrastructure to deliver broadband internet to rural parts of the state. In 2017, the state legislature established the West Virginia Broadband Enhancement Council, the WVBEC, with the primary emphasis on developing broadband infrastructure in areas with no internet or poor internet connectivity. The WVBEC revealed unpleasant data from the FCC 2020 Broadband Deployment Report. It ranks West Virginia at number 48 in the nation, with only 70% of the population having access to fixed broadband service, with download speeds of at least 25 megabits per second and upload speeds of 3 megabits per second. These recorded speeds are only better than Mississippi and Arkansas, and do not shine a good light on West Virginia from the point of view of a prospective migrating remote worker. However, the strategy going forward will largely lean on the federal funds coming in from the FCC's Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, RDOF, which aims to build the broadband infrastructure of these unserved areas. The RDOF is a reverse auction in which $20.4 billion will be put forth to the lowest bidders to bring broadband capabilities over the next 10 years to select rural areas across the country. The bidding process does not only consider the amount the bidding internet service providers offer to complete the project, but other criteria like the technological performance benchmarks, like internet speeds, latency, etc., and overall financial health of the bidder. The auction process has two phases, in which the first phase results were announced on December 7, 2020. Of the possible $326 million in subsidies spanning over the next 10 years going toward broadband in West Virginia, $247 million went to Frontier Communications. This awarded sum was the third largest in the country-wide reverse auction. Frontier also won the auction's gigabit performance tier, which unlocks additional funding to provide fibered internet directly to homes over approximately 80,000 locations in West Virginia. Frontier Communications winning these first phase bids in West Virginia is not a surprise. They already have a sizable footprint in the state with more than 2.26 million customers. However, 
Upon the arrival of the announcement, displeased state lawmakers were quick to file letters directly to the FCC chairman, Hajip Pai, speaking out against this decision. On December 9th, two days after the auction results were made public, U.S. Senator Shelley Moore Capito sent a letter to Pai, citing, quote, concerns about the selection of Frontier Communications as the leading first-phase bid winner in the state's gigabit performance tier selection. Quoting from the letter, If during the review of Frontier's long-form application for the West Virginia locations, there are any questions or concerns about their ability to deliver on the commitment made in their short-form application, I urge the FCC to reject their long-form application. The stakes are simply too high to provide nearly $250 million to a company that does not have the capability to deliver on the commitments made to the FCC. West Virginia cannot afford to be let down yet again by the failure of Frontier to deliver promises made to federal partners. In the letter, Capito points to two instances where Frontier Communications has allegedly failed to deliver on previous government projects similar to the RDOF. The most significant is a claim of, quote, mismanagement of federal appropriation from the 2010 NTIA Broadband Technology Opportunity Fund. This event led to the state issuing a refund to the federal government due to, quote, improper use of the grant's money. This information came to light via a 2017 joint investigation from the United States Department of Commerce Office of Inspector General and the United States Department of Justice, where it was revealed Frontier charged $4.7 million, quote, in costs that were unallowable under the applicable rules and regulations of the Broadband Technology Opportunity Fund grant. Frontier provided a letter in the appendix of the investigative report stating that they and KPMG, an independent accounting firm, quote, did not find that Frontier's costs were unreasonable. While state lawmakers called for a lawsuit against Frontier to recoup these funds, the West Virginia High Street Journal could not find any public record that the state ever followed through with that threat. Not long after the Capitol letter was made public, West Virginia Metro News reported a supplementary letter to the FCC that was also penned and signed by 28 state senators. These letters are a part of a combined effort to convince the FCC to reject Frontier's bid in Phase 2, the phase where the financial health of the bidder is scrutinized more heavily. Both letters from Capitol and the West Virginia Senate urged the FCC to look further at Frontier Communications as they are emerging from a Chapter 11 financial restructuring. From 2017 to 2019, Frontier has taken on water in their public financial filings, showing declines in total revenue of 19% and total assets of 29%. In April 2016, Frontier was trading at a high of $84.45 per share. As of this recording, Frontier Communications is currently trading at $0.49 cents per share. In an article covering the Chapter 11 filing, Forbes called the firm, quote, one of Wall Street's longest investment disaster stories, stating that, quote, the restructuring plan would wipe out current shareholders who have already lost more than 90% this year alone. There are very few ways one can observe these facts and not be concerned about the solvency of Frontier and thus their ability to pull this off. However, neither the opinions of state lawmakers nor Wall Street speculators determine the fate of nearly $250 million allocated to broadband infrastructure in the state. With that money, West Virginia hopes to pave the way for remote workers to move to the mountain state via the information superhighway. Without it, those migrant remote workers might indeed take country roads elsewhere. 
For the West Virginia High Street Journal, I'm David Smith. Thanks, David. That's a very peculiar set of scenarios for the West Virginia lawmakers and federal officials to figure out. But I guess the question still remains. If you could live and play within the Mountain State, but work outside of its borders, what's stopping you from doing that? For more West Virginia business news, go to WVHSJ.com, where you can find this article and others. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on whichever podcatcher you're listening right now. Follow us on Twitter at WVHSJ and like us on Facebook, WVHSJ. For the West Virginia High Street Journal, I'm Bart Keeler. Thanks for listening.